0: at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the episode. Ecclesiastes, chapter number seven, you say, where in the
1: world is Ecclesiastes? Find your index, all right? And, uh, and it's about the center of the Bible, not far after Psalms, and so uh, you might have to ask, uh, ask someone next to you for some help or whatever. Don't feel embarrassed by that. Uh, Ecclesiastes down in there. And why don't we stand together, and we're actually gonna start a couple verses ahead of chapter seven, and we'll deal with uh, really a question that, uh, that Solomon has as he gets to the end of a bunch of things. Solomon was the wisest man in all the world, right? Uh, and how did he get that wisdom from God? That um, wisdom is given to all men who ask for it liberally. God doesn't, uh, he doesn't discriminate in that. And Solomon got a lot of it. And God says, I'm going to bless you with wisdom. But remember, God also told him, I'm going to bless you with wealth and riches because, and honor because you did not ask for those. So I'm going to bless you with both wisdom and the wealth and the riches. And so as a man that had everything and really lived uh, life to the max, he enjoyed life. He lived life to the max. And really, in many ways, he lived beyond what God had wanted him to and beyond God's commands, even though he had all this wisdom that God had given him. And as he came to the end of his life, and uh, really uh, to the point of old age, and, and realizing that all men do indeed die, he, he kind of reflected back in his life in the first six chapters of Ecclesiastes and, and, uh, and has a common refrain all is vanity and vexation of spirit. What does that mean? All of life is empty and it's full of frustration. Have you ever been there with, the, uh, with uh, Solomon, this wise man? Have you ever been there? It's all empty and it's vanity. Why do I do the things that I do? I just can't seem to make sense of it. And it's a bunch of frustrations. It's an intense wrapped up uh, mess of, uh, of knots and frustration. And that's where Solomon was. And so he gets to chapter end of chapter number 6 and he asks a question. With all this in mind, with all the frustration that I see, and God's given me these things, and I can't even enjoy the, the, the riches that I've had. I don't even really get to enjoy them because there's so much vanity and, and vexation. Look at chapter 6 and verse number, uh, verse number 10. He says this, That which has been is, all, uh, is named already and is known, that is, uh, that is man, neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Okay, So uh, I can't contend with God, verse number 11. He says, seeing there be many things that increase vanity or emptiness, what is man the better? That's a pretty good question. Uh, there's all this emptiness around me, and it seems like everything is increasing, the emptiness and the futility of life. What is man the better? You know, How does man get better? What, what is man the better for all of this? What, what good is it, he's asking. Verse number 12, for who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his uh, um, vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall um, be after him under the sun? What's going to happen after death? I don't understand. There's just so much that is unknown to Solomon and he struggles with. Verse number one of chapter number seven, we continue on. A good name, in fact, read it out loud with me. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. We'll get to describing that in a moment, but listen to these words. It is better to go into the house of mourning than into the house of feasting. For that is the end, the goal, the, the, the finality of all men. And the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness, the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And he goes on to describe many more things that would help man to be better, answering this question from verse number 11 in chapter 6, what is man the better? What is man the better? Simply the message today what makes us better? What makes us better? Now, I quickly hasten and add, before we pray, that I'm not talking about self-effort to get you into heaven. Are you with me? So we're not trying to better ourselves to be approved of God. Your approval comes through the Lord Jesus Christ when you accept him by faith like we just heard. But what makes man better? What what changes my heart? What changes my living in all the midst of the emptiness and the frustration of life that we all too well know what makes us better? Well, we're going to answer that from this man who God helped him to turn this corner here from a, the perspective of old age and from the perspective of looming death and he, on just realizing his own mortality. He's giving us some sound advice that will help us to be better. What makes us better? Well, we're going to discover that this morning. You may be seated and let's pray together. Father, would you guide us this morning? Thank you for challenging our hearts. Thank you for lifting us to heaven this morning. Lord, we thank you for the blessed hope. We thank you for the, uh, the, the promise of eternal salvation. Lord, you told us in John 10 and verse number 28 that you know us, those that trust in you. You know us and that you give to us eternal life and we shall never perish. Thank you, Lord, for the promise, the hope of eternal life. I pray that you would cheer each heart here today, but Lord, help us to be better for you, better before your eyes, not in our own feelings, not in our own emotions, but better for you. I pray that you would challenge us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, and amen. Now, as we've considered this with Solomon, I just—I really want us to catch this because there's many places we could go in the Bible that would, would maybe help us to have a little bit more of a Uh, an emotional uh, high, if you will. There's, There's so much. We've sung so much about heaven this morning. I don't know about you, when I think about the fact that the tempter will be banished and our burdens will be laid down, that's hallelujah shouting ground for my heart. Are you with me on that? When Satan is no more around, and we don't have to worry about him anymore, and there is no temptation of sin, all right? And there's no propensity towards sin. We have our new bodies. What a day that is going to be. And we've sung about that, and our hearts soar with that. But what is going to make you better Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week? And friends, oftentimes we look to the high points of our life, and we say, well, that's, if I could just get back there, if I could just understand all of life, if I could just understand what God is doing, then I could be better and friends, that's often not the case. It's in moments like this in our, in our time where we get sober and our heart gets quiet before God and our heart gets quiet around others that we really begin to uh, fasten down and do the work that is necessary in our own lives. And Solomon's asking this question, what is man the better? What would make man better? In the midst of all this, what would make man better? What is going to make you better? What is going to make you a better Christian a better follower of the Lord Jesus Christ what is going to change so that it's not just I want to change it takes it from from a stirring in the heart to an actual change you know what I'm talking about you say God I'm not going to do this anymore uh family I'm not going to do this anymore right here now it stops and then the next week you're back to it you know what I'm talking about are you with me anyone that'd be willing to say you know I've been there before I think all of our hands should be up right there right right because we're real I mean that's human nature we and sometimes we try to we try to work it up in our own effort but what truly changes us and Solomon brought out some points that we need to consider yes in a time like this but you need to write these down and consider them through your life because this these are keys these are principles this is advice from a man who lived life not not perfectly no man is perfect aren't you thankful for that I uh, wanted you to say right now, I am not perfect. Say that out loud. I am not perfect, right? None of us are. And uh, you could go right along with that because we make up the Grace Baptist Church. Our church is not perfect. We're all growing. We all, compared to Jesus, we all have room to grow, right? Amen? And so what would make us better? And I'm not asking what would make you feel better. There's a big difference between because sometimes our feelings lie to us. Are you with me? Isn't there a verse about that somewhere in Jeremiah, maybe 17 in verse number 9, that says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it? Have you found that sometimes you feel really good when things aren't really going so well? Well, I told that person I feel really good about it. No, you just were unkind and resentful and spiteful. You know what I'm saying? And our hearts can soar Well, we've just done something wrong. So we're not talking about feeling better. What truly makes us better before our God? And we can all put on a f- show for one another. And human nature, again, even Christians. Did you know that Christians, Christians struggle with hypocrisy? Did you know that? Did you know that everyone struggles with hypocrisy? It's kind of a part of sin, sin nature. Did you know that? So, yeah, we can, we can put up a front. I'm not talking about what makes us appear better. I'm talking about what makes us truly better before our God. So that in the quiet moment between you and God, truly you have done some changing in your heart that really, really uh, affects your relationship with, with Almighty God. So let's consider this. And the advice that Solomon gives is, first of all, in verse number one of chapter seven is this, value reputation over riches. Value reputation over riches. How many of you have heard the statement, he who has the most toys when he dies wins? Yeah? You know what? Sometimes we hear that statement and we immediately say, no, no, not for me. But we sometimes practically live that way. When we're walking through Walmart or Meijer or Costco, like if I had that, boy, boy, that would be great. Uh, I'm walking through the car, boy, if I just had that vehicle. We sometimes live that way practically. So let's not be so hard on the folks that put that on their bumper as a bumper sticker. Uh, Sometimes we have that on our heart. But the fact is, Solomon came to the point as a very wealthy man where he realized, mm, I should have, I should have, I should have valued my reputation and my character before Almighty God greater than the riches he gave me. And then when we think about Solomon. Uh, he says here, a good name is rather, is better than precious ointment. And the good name is just that idea of that character, what people associate with your name. Uh, sometimes we'll say that, that person has a good name. Uh, don't mess up our family name. We have a good name, right? And, and that's because we have a good reputation. Don't mess it up. And so Solomon realized, boy, I should have valued reputation, my good name, a good name, over the riches that God had given me. Precious ointment, if you remember back to Mary in the last days of Jesus' life, she broke the alabaster box over, his, over him, uh, and it was like a year's worth of wages. So this precious ointment is a precious oil, fragrant, beautiful, but it signifies, it signals on wealth. And so Solomon says it's better to have a good reputation over having great wealth or valuing great wealth. Think about how much God gave to Solomon. I Solomon, sometimes we think, well, you know, it was just back in yesteryear and we kind of detach from the amount of wealth that he had. But it is said, if you do some of the figuring up from, uh, from 1 Kings chapter 10 and, and around there, if, it, if you do some of the figuring up, it seems that Solomon could have taken in as much in our day as $1.1 billion per year over 40 years. This man was a multi-billionaire. Uh, We think about the kings of the earth right now that are very well-to-do. Solomon was very, very well-to-do, and God gave that to him on top of great wisdom, which is amazing. God gave that. God just poured out the windows of heaven upon him and gave that to him, and it said in 1 Kings 10 and verse 27, and the king, Solomon, made silver to be in Jerusalem as a stone. So it's like, you know the stones that are around our church building, the stones that uh, landscape your house? Uh, you think about it, Solomon made silver to be so popular in, in Jerusalem that it was just like stones. He was a very well-to-do individual. God gave him that, but Solomon began to value the riches over good character. Do you know that God can meet you in your life? You can have a defining moment with God, which I would, I would contend that Solomon's moment with God when he prayed for wisdom and God gave him wisdom and also blessed him with riches and wealth and honor, that was a defining moment in his life. You can have a defining moment in your life and then walk away from the the impact of that defining moment. And he began to value the blessings of God over the the wisdom, the, the intangible wisdom that God had given him. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the right application of truth. So he had the knowledge, but he didn't apply it. Every single one of us, if we want to be better, are going to need to take the knowledge that God has given to us, the great light he has given to us, and apply it in our lives, or we're not going to be better. So what's going to make change you as an individual is taking the wisdom that God has given you and the wisdom that God offers you, James 1 and verse number 5, take it and apply it into your life. Now, here's the thing. As we think about how, uh, how rich Solomon was, it's not just the wealthy who value wealth. You say, I don't have, you should see my bank account. I don't have anything. Do you know that there are some very, very poor people who are obsessed with wealth? Did you know that? You say, well, where is that in the Bible? Well, 1, 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 12, for the love of money is the root of all evil. He did not say money. Now, our world might want to attack those that are wealthy and work for it and work for it. Let's underscore that and work for it. Uh, they might want to attack them as evil, but you understand God, God says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now notice, what it goes on to say, First Timothy, write that verse down, and go back and look at it. Which, while some coveted after, have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Understand this. Solomon allowed the wealth to capture his heart and it drew him away from God. He erred from the faith. The end of his life, I mean, he was, he was, he was completely... People couldn't even reason with him. He was so focused on his wealth and his his way of doing things and all of his wives and his riches and so on. What an awful thing. And so it's not just the wealthy who value wealth. We can right now, you might not have many bucks to your name, but you can value wealth over a reputation. My challenge to you this morning is don't do the same mistake Solomon did. Let's value reputation, a good name, above uh, the wealth that we could have, or we could work for, or we could spend one more uh, more hour working after, or give up one more weekend to to pursue after. Let's value our reputation before God, ultimately, and before others, uh, greater than the wealth that we could gain. And so, how does one have a good name? And I want to just touch on this. First of all, ensure, ensure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Bible talks about our names being written in heaven. Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, Jesus told his disciples, don't rejoice that you can do miracles, Hey, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Is your name written in heaven this morning? Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? The Bible says that no one's going to enter into heaven, Revelation 21 and verse 27, without their name being written in the book of life. And so if you're going to have a good name on earth, it starts with having a good name in heaven. And that is, that is absolutely the case. That is, that is Bible that is so very important for us to grab a hold of. And when we receive Jesus Christ as the full payment for our sin... Bible says in John 1 and verse number 12, Miss Joanne mentioned it in her, in her video that we become the sons of God. There is no greater name to have than I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. With Jesus my Savior, I'm the child of the king. And so John 10 and verse 27, Jesus and uh, knows us, he, he, uh, he identifies with us. He, we belong to Him. we're a part of Him, and, and the greatest identity you can have, the greatest name you can have is knowing that your name is written in heaven. Is your name written in heaven? is your name written in heaven? You say, "Oh, I've gone to church for a long time. I didn't ask that. Is your name written in heaven? Only you and God know that. Has there been a time where you've acknowledged your sinfulness before a holy God, a holy yet loving God? Has there been a time where you acknowledged that yes, because of your sin, you deserve the, the, the wrath of God in a place called hell? You say, I don't like that. I don't like it either. And God didn't like it either. So that's why he sent Jesus Christ to offer himself at the cross to be the full payment the full payment for your sin. There are some religions that say this that the blood of Jesus Christ is not sufficient to cover your sins. Mainline religions in their in their catechisms say that. Mainline religions you have to work for it. No, Jesus Christ paid for all of your sin, and he, he offers that to you as a free gift if you will but accept it. And when you do, your name is put in heaven's rolls. And I look forward to the day that when we go to heaven, when we, we hear our name read right off, if you will, I, I, a little imagination, I don't know how, how exactly it'll go, but the fact is, do you know your name is written in heaven? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Is are you free of that condemnation? Have you been rescued from your sin? But notice, it's not just ensuring your name because there's a lot of people who have, maybe have their name written in heaven but don't live like it. Solomon had a relationship with God but didn't live like it. And here's the second part of having a good name. Live as one who has their name written down in heaven. Live out of it. You know what? This world is watching us. I had a conversation this week with some folks that were watching me. I have a conversation with someone else, and they, they, they were taking a, a bet with one another uh, that, uh, that I was a pastor. And I walk out, and they, they finally tell me, and they were kind of uh, laughing about it once they, they said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a, I, Pastor Grace Baptist Church. Oh, we knew it, we knew it. You know, They're watching us, and now you don't realize how much you're watching us. You, know, you ever feel like someone's watching you? feel the eyes digging into you? You know what I'm talking The world is watching every step we make. They watch you as you left your house this morning. They watch you when you stay home. They watch you when you when you are uh, a squabbling with one. They watch everything. They watch us. They watch our testimony at work. They watch the words that we say. They watch our priorities. The most scary thing that uh, um, that would come from an unsaved coworker's mouth is, oh, "I didn't know you're a Christian." Oh boy, friends, you got some work to do because you're not at that point living as one whose name's written in heaven. You might have your name there, but you aren't, you aren't living it out. If you're going to be better before God, there needs, to be a, there needs to be a connection. Your life needs to be identified completely with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be walking around, and you say, uh, can that happen? You know what, Paul, I love this, and I just found this this week, so it's really special to me. And I'm going to go back to this. You'll probably hear about it more and more. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 3. You got it? You've got to write this down, okay? Philippians 4 and verse number 3. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, Paul talking about fellow servants of the Lord, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, now notice, whose names are in the book of life. Whose names are in the book of life. These people... That Paul worked with and collaborated in the gospel with. He was so certain of their testimony and their lifestyle. He, their lifestyle spoke so loudly that he was able to say, whose names are written in the book of life. Paul was not on, on putting them in heaven. Paul was declaring, I've seen this. And there's no doubt whose name is written in heaven. And he was able to see that in their lives. I want that type of life. Don't you? Don't you? Friends, it, it takes determination. Uh, the Bible tells us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, bless God, I just share my mind. Hmm. Well, you're probably not going to have a very great testimony. Right? You know, some people share their mind. They, they shouldn't share their mind. I mean, it's just, it just it, it doesn't help anyone. Well, I say it like it is. Well, what happened to speak the truth in love? You know what I'm talking about? Reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ? And so it's very important. And Jesus said that if we would continue in his word, then are you my disciples indeed. Then you're known as my followers. And so we need to have that, that perspective. So he says there in, in verse number one, a good name is better than, than precious ointment. Good name is better than, than riches. In the day of death than the day of one's birth. And if you're like me, you look at that and you're like, well, well hold on. I don't know about that you know what there's nothing sweeter than going to a dear saint's funeral and hearing the many many testimonies i posted out on facebook this past week just uh, my own uh statement about miss joanne and to see your statements and many other statements from people pouring in i had someone text me and and say when i came to church years ago as a young man beside pastor shawd miss joanne was the first person that welcomed us and you think about that, you just think about the the wonderful, the wonderful celebration that we have of Jesus Christ in her. Did you catch that? Of Jesus Christ in her. Of her, her living as a representation of one whose name is written in heaven. And so, on those days, now I've also been to funerals where there's not much good to say about the person there. Have you been to one of those? Kind of hard, kind of difficult. It uh, reminds me of this, uh, this daughter who wrote uh, an obituary for her, uh, her dad once he had, had died. His name was um, Leslie Ray uh, Charping. And uh, it's, it's long, and I won't go all, all into it, but it starts off with, uh, you know, he was born in 1942, uh, died January 2017, which was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. Um, at a young—this is a real obituary— um, at a young age, um, Leslie uh, quickly became an example of bad parenting combined with mental illness and, and complete commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and being a, uh, generally offensive. And then it gets down with Leslie's passing. He will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and a good friend. Loving, uh, Leslie's passing proves that evil does in fact die and hopefully marks a time of uh, healing and safety for all. And I could read on much more, but you can just tell that that's dripping with regret. Like, no one's happy about being at that funeral. But here's, here's, here's the difference between a person who's lived their life for Jesus Christ. You go to that funeral and know we're sad to, to miss them, and we will be. Uh, it's totally different when you can celebrate a life that m- met your need, was a Barnabas to you, encouraged you when you were down. That's um, That's special. And in all honesty, at the day of birth, you don't know potential hasn't been lived out. But the day of death, you can look back on a life well spent. Boy, I want that, don't you? Um, and and what happens at a funeral really does does exalt exalt how a person lived their life. Every man has three names: one his father and mother gives him, one others call him, and one he acquires for himself. What kind of name do you have? What's your reputation? What's your character? Solomon goes a little bit further, and he describes life from this vantage point of death and and uh, and in just old age in his own and in his own case, just realizing his own mortality, and he says it's not only valuable that I would value the the uh, the reputation over riches, but it's also valuable that I would I would value the funeral over feasting. Now, this has always been an intriguing verse to me. Um, because it, it is so apropos to our lives and really against human nature. Solomon knew what feasting was. <laughs> Solomon understood it. If you go back into the Bible, uh, you'll find that, that Solomon's daily uh, requirements, food requirements for the palace. Can, ladies, can you imagine working in his, working in his, uh, in his kitchen? Pretty unbelievable. Um, but it, it, 150 bushels of choice flour, 300 bushels of meal, 10 oxen. Uh, 20 cattle, 100 sheep and go- or goats, deer, gazelles, roe deer, choice poultry. I mean, it was brought in. And the governors of the different parts of Israel were responsible to bring, bring these in. So they had different times of the, of the year that they were responsible to bring the allotment to the palace. So do you remember what happened when the Queen of Sheba came? She saw the wisdom of Solomon, and then she saw his servants, and then she saw his table. You ever gone into a nice table and you're like, whoa, this, this person put a lot of work into this. You know, maybe Thanksgiving time. She saw his table. And you know what the end of that verse is in 1 Kings? That there was no spirit left in her. What it means is it, it knocked the breath out of her. It was shocking to her to see all of this. Solomon understood what feasting was, but he says it's better from this vantage point. It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Mourning's just the lamentation, but the house only used here in, in uh, scripture, the house of mourning was a place where people would realize their own mortality. It was where they went to mourn the, the dead, and it, 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 they realized in that moment, I too am immortal, I'm mortal, and I will die as well. So, uh, recognizing our own mortality, our, the brevity of our own lives, is very, very valuable to us living a better life. Most of us have made plans for this week. And those plans are solely based on the continuance of your existence. Have you made plans for if you're not here tomorrow? Have you made plans that in your death you would exalt Jesus Christ? Have you made plans? Have you dealt with things that need to be dealt with in your life? Solomon says it's better to go there to the house of mourning, to this place of lamentation. Why? Why? For that's the end of all man. We need to realize it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. Thank God Jesus took the sting out of death, which is sin. Removing our sin from us. So that when we die, we look forward to being with him. But physical death is still a reality. Even though that sting has been taken, a physical death is still a reality. We will all die, and it is in the funeral home. It's in the house of mourning that we lay it to heart, that it lays on our heart, that it challenges our, our thinking. As one man said, the funeral causes us to reflect on the own possibility of our own death, which helps us to put the fleeting nature of this mortal life into perspective. Death helps one to reflect seriously on his own life. Jonathan Edwards said it this way, I am resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were my last hours on earth. Death causes us to think seriously. And I think it's important for every one of us as a church family, I know it's important for me to consider that. We don't know that we have tomorrow. This is the day that you have. This is the day. Today, many times people walk out of auditoriums like this, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. Friends, you do not know if you have tomorrow. You do not know that. And what helps us to live a better life before God is to realize, this is the moment I have. And I better live every moment like the next moment I might not be here. I better treat every relationship. That means husbands and wives, There ought not be walking out of the house angry at each other, going into your day. If you think that you might, this might be your last day, how off it would be to leave your spouse with resentful, hurtful words or your children with resentful, hurtful words. Leave every moment on right terms with one another. Leave every assembly of this church on right terms with one another. Leave every moment like this, every encounter with God, right relationship with him. Why? We don't know if we have tomorrow. And what would you do if this was your last day on earth? What would you do today? What would you do after this service if this was your last day on earth? What would you write down? I'm going to do this, this, and this because I don't know if I'll be here tomorrow. That will change the way that we live our lives. It will change the way that we interact with our coworkers. It will change absolutely everything. There might be a relationship that needs to be mended today. There might be a phone call you need to make today. So I don't know if they'll forgive me. You need to make the effort. There might be a situation that you need to resolve today. There might be a sin that needs to be completely confessed and dealt with today. Well, I don't know that. I want to just take it to my grave. a sin that you need to deal with. I'm not talking about Aaron Darity laundry friends. There's, there's no good in that. But there might be something that you know the Holy Spirit of God's dealing with you about over and over and over again. Deal with it. Get help. There's mercy to those that come with a broken and contrite spirit. God's not going to kick you. And you know what? By God's grace, this family isn't going to kick you. Do you hear me? Now, are we all in agreement on that one? Far too many times Christians have kicked one another. T- Far too many times. You know what that comes from? From a heart of arrogance. It's, I am better than you, so I can kick you when I see a fault in you. Compared to Jesus Christ, we all have growing to do, right? So none of us can rise up over one another. The Bible says, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, gentleness. Isn't that beautiful? Because that's what Jesus did. And so there might be some things that you need to do. There might be a priority you need to put in place in your life. This is my last day on earth. By God's grace, I'm going to live it, prioritize the way that God wants it. It might be you writing down your testimony. I want you to consider that. Do you know what's happening right now with that testimony? That's being shared everywhere. So much so that the family asked me to have it played at the funeral. The family asked me. I did not, I did not ask them. The family asked me. You know what they declared to me? The moment that they were telling me that, boy, they had a rough marriage ahead of salvation, but the moment that she and Jack received Jesus Christ, everything changed. That's the family. Friends, praise God. But you have a testimony. When you came to Jesus Christ, let's write it down. Let's share it with, uh, share it with others. And God will, God will take care of how far that testimony goes. But make sure that people know how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Make sure that people know the, the, the difference between the before Christ and the after Christ. And So write, uh, write that down. I don't know what it is, but God is telling you there's something that you need to do today. If this was your last day on earth, there's something that you ought to do. I think about the faithful service of Joanne in this, this place. Um, if we had an open mic right now. Uh, many of us could share interactions, personal interactions of how she's encouraged our hearts. Blessed to see pictures of her interacting with the the kids in VBS. She would work in VBS. and What a blessing to see her connecting with kids and, and caring. She worked with kids for how many years? Years. But every service... That lady was so faithful. Every service, sitting back about there where Miss Edith is. In here, every service. Bible open, taking notes. Letting the word enter her heart. Every service. You know what? It was in these assemblies where she encouraged us. I don't know about you, but I don't have, I don't have something left over that she needs to deal with between me and her. What a sweet, sweet lady. And she ministered to our church's heart. And friends, you know what? Sometimes God gives us examples of people like that so we can we can have something to put our eyes on and say, you know, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. Uh, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Why? Because we have considerations like we're having right now. Solomon continues on and he makes one last push in this context of of our mortality. So it's valuable, uh, good reputation is more valuable than riches, being at the house of mourning is more valuable than the, being at the house of, of mirth, but notice he says value hardship over happiness, verse number three, sorrow is better than laughter, well, none of us like sorrow, how many of you really like going through painful times, so is Solomon saying you ought you to change your perspective, and you ought to just become a person that just enjoys when it's really hard? Is that what he's saying? No. He's just saying that in that moment, there's something better for us. It helps us to be better. Again, answering verse number 11 of chapter 6. It helps us to be better. Um, he goes on, it's, it's the sadness of the countenance. Sadness of the countenance of the heart is made better through the, through the sorrow. It's the, house, it's the fools that love to be in the house of mirth. You know, always giddy, always laughing, always seeking the entertainment, but it's the the wise individual that realizes it's the the house of mourning that is a good place for his heart to be. Why? Because valuable things are not always enjoyable to us. Valuable things in our lives, valuable events are not always enjoyable events. Now, I, I would imagine that you can look back into your life and you can realize some times where you really grew forward as an individual, but they were very difficult, difficult times, either in your physical life or your relationship with God. It's in that moment that you grew strength, that you garnered strength. And and he's saying here, the heart is improved. The heart is helped by those times of sorrow. Uh, Its countenance is is bettered by the times of sorrow. What's the heart? It's that governing center of you. It's it's the inner you. So who you really are is bettered through times of hardship. Uh, One man said it this way, a great heart is forged on the anvil of deep hardship. On that anvil. Uh, We were going down to Kentucky earlier this year to to stay down there for a couple days, and we stopped by uh, um, Boone, I'm forgetting the fort, um, Boonesboro down there, and uh, the guy was out there. It was a very cold day, and uh, we could not get close enough to the fire to get warm. Um, but he was very, very nice to shou- uh, show us some things. And he had this rod, the steel rod that he has in the fire right now. And I meant to bring it in here, but it's, he created us just a little S-hook. Now, it started out as a silver rod, but he put it in the fire, and then he would just beat it and beat it and beat it and beat it. And beat it. If that piece of metal was was you know had feelings, it would have its feelings crushed, right? And, but it was shaped into something that is in our home and we use on a regular basis, an ex- S-hook, which... Back in those days, the S-hook would hang a pot over the fire, that type of stuff. So it's a very strong hook, um, but it, 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 it's useful. It has use. And it was in the, in, on the anvil that it was shaped like that. And it's on the anvil of your hardships, of your financial hardship, of your relational hardship, of your emotional hardship, of the hardships that God allows to come into your life, that you are shaped, that your heart is formed, and that it's made better. Remember what Job said. In Job 23 and verse 10, he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. It's in that moment that we are better. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect. The idea of matured and entire, wanting nothing. Wanting nothing, lacking nothing. It is in the trials of our life that we are made better. And so, friends, oftentimes we shun the trials. We want to get away from the trial. I want to be out of the season of life. No, God says you ought to value that hardship, even over the happiness. It's Not that you, oh, I'm just going to not smile anymore. You know, sometimes we as Christians really need to do better about that. Are you with me on that? Uh, sometimes we walk around this, this world as chi- children of the king without a smile on our face. And I do it, I do it too, and it's, it's, it's something that, that, you know, we get lost in our thoughts and we, we really need to remember whose we are. So it's not saying ditch the happiness. It is saying value that moment that God has you in. Value this moment. Value the moment when you are in your heart breaking. It's there that God is shaping you and he's transforming you into the person that he wants you to be. Uh, winds play a major role in Trees. Um, we had the, the tornado that came through a couple years ago. Some of the trees didn't stand up very well to that. It's kind of hard to stand up to an EF5. But, uh, but there are winds that, it, it, that that help trees really become stronger for the next windstorm. And what's interesting about that is the presence of wind makes a tree stronger and thus able to mature and not fall down due to its own weight. So it's the wind, the adversity that really helps a tree. In fact, the wind's constantly moving and blowing against a tree. The tree then uh, compensates. By the way, this is because of evolution, right? The tree begins to compensate and to grow something called the reaction wood or wood stress. Um, And that is a a part of the tree that that gives it stability. So through the winds, it's becoming stronger. Uh, A faith untested is not very good. Friends, don't despise the hard times of your life. Job came out the other side a better man. You've come out your trials a better individual, less complaining, less sin, and the murkiness that gets into our lives. And so as a tree becomes stronger in the wind, so you become stronger in the hardships. And yeah, right now, I know this is a little hardship for our our church. There's other hardships that you're going through right now in your life. You might be facing a, a job situation. You might be facing a, a family situation that's just not, not pleasant at all. There's other hardships that you're going through right now. I'm not saying, say, you know, like, yippee, I get to go through a hardship. But I'm saying, at this point, value what God is doing through this hardship in your life. He has not lost sight of you. And he has not lost sight of his grand purpose to work all things together for his good and his glory in your life as you allow him, as you say yes to it. Some of the harder times of my life when I didn't know what God was doing are the times that I look back on and say, that's when God was shaping me the most. But you just don't know. God does not clue us in in the middle of hardship. Hey, by the way, this is why I'm giving you hardship. He brings us through. So Solomon leads us to consider our values so that we might be better with God. So let's just review these. Value your reputation over your riches. Why? Because... The good name lives on. A bad name does not live on. It's, it's good riddance. A good name lives on. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, value the funeral over feasting. Why? Because we're reminded our lives are short. We don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. Value hardship over happiness because it's through hardship that we grow. I want you to turn here. Psalm ninety In verse number 12, a parallel verse to this concept. Psalm 90 and verse number 12. I want us to read this out loud together, and then we're going to pray and just talk to God. Psalm 90 and verse number 12. You all there? Say an amen. amen. All right. You're doing really well. Psalm 90, verse number 12, let's read it out loud together, ready and begin. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. What is that? The right application of knowledge. Something Solomon failed at, but he wished he hadn't. And what he just gave to us is, is something that we all have right now, while we still have life in our lungs, that we can apply. And we can apply today, we can apply tomorrow. And you know how the Lord's speaking to your heart, and so we're going to have just some time to talk to the Lord about it. Would you stand with me in an attitude of prayer? Let's have our heads bowed. Maybe you just need to come and thank, thank God for the life that he's given you, the life that he has given to influence you. But maybe this morning you need to come and just say, Lord, I haven't valued the right things. I've valued what's in my bank account more so than having a good name more so than living as a one who has their name written in heaven. I've valued that. Perhaps this morning that's you. I don't know what exactly God might be doing in your heart, but I'd encourage every single one of us to find a place of quiet before the Lord to consider these things. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we need your help. The world constantly is leading us to the wrong value systems. But you just used a man who lived and went through the, really the school of hard knocks, to give us something that would help us on this day. And so we pray that your people, that myself, your church, would be better uh, for what we've heard today from your word and from your heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode, and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. and we look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.